This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, September 23rd, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. How many federal judges come from being advocates for the government? And how many come from advocating for individuals, groups, and companies against the government? The answer might not surprise you, but Cato's Clark Neely explains why that matters for courts. His new study is available today at Cato.org. There's a pretty widespread belief that... uh, Judges are more likely to be former prosecutors than former defense attorneys, and at least within the realm of elected judges, I I can see why uh, people might suspect that because criminal defense attorneys are often defending people who are unpopular, and those are often used in television ads against them. Um, at, at, At the federal level, what do we know about the breakdown of judges? So there is this perception that the surest way to become a federal judge is to first be a prosecutor. Uh, interestingly, no one ever actually looked to see if that was true. In other words, no one ever studied the professional background of every sitting federal judge to determine whether, in fact, uh, prosecutors and other former government advocates are disproportionately represented on the federal judiciary. So we did that. We actually looked at uh, all of the 755 non-senior status Article Three judges, and we found that the perception is absolutely correct. And if you look, for example, just at the, the, the ratio um, of former prosecutors to former criminal defense attorneys, it's four to one. If you broaden that, as we did, and compare former advocates, former courtroom advocates for government, both civil and criminal, to former advocates for individuals against government, so criminal defense attorneys, including public defenders and civil rights attorneys uh, like ACLU or Institute for Justice, the ratio jumps to seven to one. So the bottom line is that the federal judiciary is wildly imbalanced in favor of former advocates for government as compared to people who chose the other career path and advocated uh, or represented individuals against the government. So why would that matter? Uh it, you could say, look, prosecutors are just as good at judging facts of cases. Is it is it a matter of bias or is it uh, something else that why, why we should care about that? Right. So I think most people have an intuition uh, that whenever you've you've got a uh, you know a um, process for adjudicating disputes that you want to avoid a situation uh, where you've got a significant number of people who have a you know a a professional background that might incline them to to sort of see the world in a particular way and i'll give you a very concrete example um, if you are a criminal defense attorney the likelihood that you are going to be seated on a criminal jury are infinitesimally small why because prosecutors are going to use their peremptory strikes to eliminate you from the jury pool and it's nothing personal but prosecutors uh, have the same intuition that the rest of us do that there are certain people because of their professional backgrounds uh, who are probably uh, you know, going to see this case a certain way. And criminal defense attorneys do the exact same thing. Uh, if you're a prosecutor, you are very unlikely to be seated on a criminal jury. Why? Because the criminal, uh, the, uh, the, the defense counsel is probably going to strike you. Um, this, I would say, we can broaden this and say that <clears throat> in all kinds of settings, um, the idea that, um, uh, you know, a, an adjudicative body would be composed disproportionately uh, of people who used to play for the other team is concerning. So imagine a football fan, imagine a a Michigan fan, and your teams play in Ohio State, and three out of four officials on that officiating crew are former 
Buckeyes. They're they're alums of Ohio State, uh, and and there are no former uh, Wolverines on that officiating crew. Is that going to bother you? Absolutely. And is that a personal comment on the you know the professionalism or the neutrality of any of those officials? Absolutely not. It's just looking at that officiating crew and saying, wait, why is this officiating crew wildly imbalanced in favor of people who used to play for the opposing team? That doesn't look right. And that is precisely the case with the federal judiciary. It is wildly disproportionately composed of uh, of judges who used to play for the other team. If, if you're an individual individual challenging the government in court, whether in a criminal or a civil case, what you're looking at is a bench full of judges uh, who are disproportionately likely to have played for the opposing team. If nobody had looked at this before as a as a an empirical matter, um, presumably uh, perhaps people have never looked at how those judges tend to rule. Is that the next step in this uh, research or do we have some uh, data on that? I think it would be extraordinarily difficult uh, to uh, sort of try to uh, establish that the the disproportionate composition of the federal judiciary that is, again, wildly imbalanced in in favor of former government advocates uh, leads to specific uh, outcomes in, in specific cases. But I would say this as a kind of a counterfactual, just ask yourself, um, what if the federal judiciary for the past, you know, let's say, sixty or seventy years, instead of being uh, composed of four to one former prosecutors versus former criminal defense attorneys, had been composed four to one of former criminal defense attorneys versus prosecutors? Do you think that the Fourth Amendment? Jurisprudence would look different. Do you think that other provisions in the Bill of Rights or the, the the legal interpretation of those provisions would look different? It absolutely would look different, and the entire criminal justice system would look a lot different. Uh, not because, again, any individual uh, judge is incapable of of you know honoring their uh, their, uh, their oath uh, to support the Constitution and to be neutral in any given case. It's just that we know that people's professional experiences, just like their other life experiences shape their worldview. And in the aggregate, that is absolutely going to have an effect uh, on the outcome in particular cases, but even more so uh, on the contours of legal doctrine. There's just no question about it. Uh, and I think you would get extreme you'd get very strong pushback, uh, I would imagine, from prosecutors if there were a proposal uh, to reconstitute the federal judiciary so that it was imbalanced uh, four to one in favor of former criminal defense attorneys and then have that be the composition of the judiciary for the next 60 or 70 years to see if we can sort of even things out. My guess is that prosecutors would be strongly opposed to that plan. So uh, assuming that's not on the table, um, what ought to be done, if anything in particular, to uh, correct the imbalance? I mean, we don't we don't know what that imbalance delivers as an empirical matter necessarily. Uh, but we do know that, uh, as you said, prosecutors probably would oppose a plan to flip the uh, ratio. Um, but to, to the extent that that balance is valuable, what ought to be done to correct it? Well, the good news is that there's a very a simple solution to this, and that is to have a temporary moratorium on nominating former prosecutors uh, to the bench until the uh, the imbalance, until the disproportion uh, is uh, at least somewhat evened up. It doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, perfect fifty fifty. I don't think anybody's advocating for that. Certainly, we're not. Uh, but until that balance is significantly, or I should say, that imbalance is significantly ameliorated, uh, just don't nominate uh, any former prosecutors uh, to the bench uh, unless you. 
know, for example, they have to, uh, experience on both sides. Uh, certainly, you know, if you've been both a prosecutor and a, and a defense attorney, that's different. But if the only thing you've ever done um, in terms of uh, representing the government or challenging the government um, is that you've played for one side only, and you've just been a prosecutor. Uh, then um, uh, I would advocate for a moratorium uh, on nominating those kinds of people uh, to the bench uh, until the um, the disproportion evens out, and uh, uh, the president uh, should uh, favor and and uh, go out of his way to identify. Uh, nominees with significant experience representing individuals in court against the government, whether as criminal defense attorneys or uh, civil rights lawyers, uh, who are vastly underrepresented currently on the federal judiciary, and it's important because if you think about the judiciary, it's it's really the federal judiciary is a, is almost a kind of a an ecosystem, uh, and you have all kinds of different sort of interactions and conversations and um, discussions that occur among judges, and when one perspective. Uh, the you know former government lawyer perspective is wildly overrepresented, which it is. Um, the nature of that conversation among judges is going to be different. Uh, and if you even it up, if you have people who spent a big, big chunk of their career opposing government, um, in roughly equal numbers to people who spent their careers advocating for government, uh, you're going to have a much much different conversation among judges, and that's going to produce a much much different, uh, or we can almost you know predict with with great certainty that that will produce a significantly different uh, legal and constitutional doctrine, um, one that is uh, very likely to be less pro government, less uh, deferential, less inclined to give government the benefit of the doubt, and more inclined to play it straight down. The middle between uh, government officials and individuals when they square off against each other in court. Clark Neely is Vice President for Criminal Justice at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.